My name is J.W. Oker. I'm an author, and I like to go out and look for weird stuff. I call it oddity. For more than a decade, I've sought out oddities of nature, oddities of art, oddities of culture and history. I believe that within a tank or two of gas, of any point in this country, is some seriously cool oddity, and that we all should go check it out. This is Odd Things I've Seen, the podcast. All right, for this episode of the podcast, I thought I'd try something different, which is what I'm usually doing with this podcast, I think. We're at 25 episodes, and I think we've done four different formats, so here's a fifth. I thought I'd read to you from one of my nonfiction books. Now, usually I'm telling you stories about oddities I've been to, so this isn't too different. I'll just be doing it through one of my books and just reading a, a selection from the book. The other different thing I'm doing here for this episode is I'm also recording it via YouTube, so you can actually see me do the reading. I've set up lights, I've combed my hair, put on a clean shirt, it's, it's, I've, I've presented myself. So if you want to see the reading, um, you can see the YouTube version. If you just want to hear myself or hear me, which I totally understand, just through regular podcast avenues. But the reading I want to do for this episode is from my book, A Season with the Witch. And for those of you not watching it on YouTube, I'm holding up the orange book or the book with the orange cover right now the black lettering, and the witch hands throwing lightning bolts at the title. Uh, Season with the Witch came out in 2016. It chronicles my time living in Salem for all of October 2015. So, you know, I moved there with my family right downtown. We went to all the attractions, all the historical sites. I talked to a ton of people uh, trying to get at the heart of this weird city at its weirdest time of year. And I thought I would read you guys the introduction to the book because... Well, two reasons. First is that you don't need any context to hear the introduction. It's just the introduction. It's where everybody starts with the book, whether you're reading it or you're hearing me uh, read it from my study. Um, the second reason is because there's no dialogue in the, in the introduction. A lot of my chapters have dialogue because there's interviews and there are discussions. And I just didn't want to read dialogue tonight. It's a whole different thing reading dialogue. I just wanted to read words that I wrote directly at the reader. Uh, in this case, directly at you, the listener, or you, the viewer. So that's it. That's all the setup you need. I'm going to read the introduction to A Season with the Witch, The Magic and Mayhem of Halloween in Salem, Massachusetts, right now. Actually, not right now. I'm going to tell you about the title. So the title of the introduction is Salem for a Spell. And this is a title I actually wanted for the entire book. I pitched the project under A Season with the Witch, which is a very minor play on words with The Season of the Witch by Donovan. Very minor, almost too minor. It's just swapping a few articles around. Uh, and I liked it for the pitch, but I thought as I did the project that it would just be a confusing thing. It's, it's a season with the witch, the season of the witch. is just too similar. It would mess up SEO search results and would just be confusing to everybody and everybody would be calling it by the Donovan title. So I thought maybe we should have a more ownable title for the book. So I thought Salem for a spell was perfect. I thought, you know, Salem or a spell has two different meanings, right? It means to... A, a period of time, and that's what we were doing. We are staying in Salem for a period of time. But we're also hoping to be cast under its spell. So I thought it worked well. It's four words, very short. But the publisher said, nah, <laughs> we want your original title. Uh, so we went with that. And I took my alternate title and threw it on top of the introduction. So here we go. Introduction, Salem for a spell. Salem, Massachusetts is the strangest city in the United States. 
And that's a country full of strange cities. Las Vegas comes to mind, so does Los Angeles, North Pole, Alaska, that's a good example. But the strangeness of these cities makes sense. We can easily trace the reasons they are odd and understand why they jut out from the map. We can see how a city like Las Vegas that has successfully capitalized on a vice would use every form of spectacle to lure more vice-prone visitors to its desert wonderland. Or how a city like Los Angeles, the primary industry of which involves actors in costumes amassing colossal riches and fame by pretending for a mass media, would develop into a place skewed from the norm. And we can understand how a small, isolated city like North Pole, Alaska, with few resources except snow and a high latitude, would settle on Christmas as its marketing angle. But the strangeness of Salem makes no sense. Sure, 1692 is the reason, but it's not a good reason. The witch trials constituted a nine-month episode in the city's 400 busy years of history. But somehow those measly months created a modern identity and an international reputation for Salem. The episode itself was strange, of course. I mean, a couple of tween girls playing with eggs panicked an entire region into believing it had been infiltrated by supernatural servants of Satan, escalating to the point that more than 150 people were accused. Most of them were jailed and nearly two dozen were executed. That's certainly weird enough to merit an exhibit at the local history museum, and could be a defining event for a city, I guess. Certainly it's that bizarre, except that it's not unique, not even close. In Europe, the quick with torches, stakes, and nooses had been actively hunting witches for at least two centuries before buckled shoes printed New England soil. Estimates place the number of victims of the European witch hunts at anywhere from 50,000 to 200,000. So at the low end, holy cow, that's a lot. And at the high end, holy cow, that's a lot. In 2011, Vardo, Norway, erected a memorial to the 91 victims of its 17th century witch hunt. Lancashire, England, long ago turned its Pendle Witches incident, in which 10 people were hanged in 1612, into a tourist draw. Torsaker, Sweden, has a witch memorial for the more than 70 victims who were beheaded and burned in 1675. So does El Germany, for a staggering 450 victims in the late 1500s and early 1600s. Zagura Murdi, Spain, has a whole museum dedicated to its witch trials of 1609, in which some 7,000 were accused. And I am fully aware that that's not how you pronounce any of those cities. There are other memorials and museums all over the continent. They're just hard to find because Salem overpowers the search results, despite not being anywhere near the deadliest, strangest, nor most poignant witch trial in human history. Even all the dramatic stuff like burnings at the stake and dunking chairs, that never happened in Salem. The Salem witch trials weren't even the first witch trials in America. That dubious bit of monster hunting took place in Hartford, Connecticut, where Alice Young was hanged in 1647 on the spot of what is now the old state house. Fifteen years later, Hartford would hang another four convicted witches. And that's still 30 years before Bridget Bishop swung in Salem. All told, there were around 100 people tried for witchcraft in America before the crystal ball dropped on 1692. And that includes Boston, which had shaded its common a few times with the bodies of accused witches. In fact, Boston's last executed witch was hanged three and a half years before Salem's first. Nor were the Salem witch trials the witch trials to end all witch trials. Witch hunting continued throughout colonial America and Europe for at least another century. Hell, they're happening today. In Africa, India, Latin America, the Middle East, and the Southwest Pacific, men, women, and children are being arrested, tried, tortured, and executed for knowing good recipes for Eye of Newt and Toa Frog. The United Nations estimates that thousands per year are killed for being witches. Yet Salem is, alone in this country and on this planet, witch city. It doesn't make sense. And it gets even weirder. Salem is not defined today in terms of the Bible-clutching, black-clad Puritans who settled the area and who were both victims and villains in the trials. Instead, it is defined in terms of a cartoon version of what the victims were accused of being. Witches, with pointy hats, flying broomsticks, and all. 
The Salem police have Halloween-style witch-on-broom silhouettes sewn on the shoulders of their uniforms and painted on the doors of their patrol cars. The local high school mascot is a Wicked Witch of the West-style witch. Every year they graduate whole new classes of Salem witches. The masthead of the city newspaper features a red cartoon witch. The seal of the fire department is a witch. The orange street signs in the tourist areas all have Halloween witches on them. The latest tourism branding campaign for the city involves a conical witch's hat. And that's not counting the private businesses of Salem, where everything from laundromats to cab services to restaurants are themed with flying broom hags. At some point, dark magic overtook the dark history, and the fantasy became more prominent than the facts. Which, to me, is fine. I'm not judging that, and in fact, I will defend that in this book. I just bring it up here to say it's weird. Now, keep in mind, Salem has four centuries of noteworthy non-witchy history, so it's not like it doesn't have options. For instance, it was the birthplace, home, and inspiration of author Nathaniel Hawthorne, one of the founding authors of American literature. That's not too shabby. It's also where the National Guard got started. Alexander Graham Bell lived and experimented there for a couple of years and gave one of the first public demonstrations of the telephone in Salem. Parker Brothers was founded in the city by Native Sons, and it was there that the world was introduced to everything from Monopoly to the Nerf Ball. It was also one of the most important seaports in early America, pivotal in trading with the Orient and privateering against the British Navy. And of course... It has been through every American war, including those against the French, the Native Americans, the British, and the South. The Revolutionary War almost started in Salem. Just Google Leslie's Retreat to find out more about that. It has enough eggs in its cultural basket to Halloween prank a whole city, even if that basket has been swapped out for a cauldron. But it gets weirder still. By digging up the land to ferret out perceived witches, the judges and accusers of the Salem witch trials inadvertently prepared the ground for real witches, capital W, 300 years later. Today, the city of Salem is home of actual witches, men and women who practice Wicca or witchcraft or a related neo-pagan religion. Nobody knows quite how many witches have lived in Salem over the decades, or how many are there today. Estimates run from the hundreds to the thousands. That latter estimate would put the number of witches somewhere around 5% of the city's population. But regardless of how many witches live in Salem, the religion is undeniably a prominent part of the city's culture and economy and a powerful draw for witches across the world. But wait... Still weirder, the Salem Witch Trials is the founding event of the American horror genre. What 1776 is to American history buffs, 1692 is to American horror buffs. Salem isn't just a city, it's a space in popular culture, a haunted space in popular culture. Somewhere along the timeline, the city transmogrified into America's capital of creepy. It became a monster mecca. There is no werewolf city or vampire city or zombie city, so which city welcomes them all? Today, the city has monster museums and haunted houses, ghost walks and graveyard tours. If you're a fan of the macabre, you put Salem on your travel list, especially if it's Halloween. Every year, Salem throws a month-long Halloween party. This small city of 42,000 swells to more than a quarter million in October. For many, Salem is Halloween town, which isn't a bad place to be for a holiday that neared $7 billion in sales in 2015 in the United States. But don't get me wrong, the witch is still the queen of the monsters in Salem. Many movies and television series and novels about witches were inspired by, set in, or filmed in Witch City. And for the ones that aren't, no story can get even close to witches without at least name-checking Salem. J.K. Rowling couldn't even create a British world of wizards without doing so in her, in her Harry Potter series. In this era of primetime horror television, when zombies and vampires and ghosts and psychos dominate the time slots and channels once ruled by comedians, cops, and lawyers, of course there are witches, and of course Salem is represented. In 2013, the supernatural show Salem launched on WGN America, and it is filming its third season as I write this book. I'm sure the show is just pitched on that one word, Salem. Salem is the weirdest city in the country. 
it might, might even be in the running for the world crown. And you know what? I'm going to dive up to my hairline in this odd cauldron, and you're coming with me. We're going to visit the remaining witch trial sites, from graves of judges to proposed execution sites to still-standing houses of trial participants, we're going to explore Salem like it's 1692, overlaying its ghost across the contemporary landscape of the city like modern-day necromancers. We're going to visit its macabre attractions to see if Spooky is different in Salem. We're going to give its non-witch-related sites a fighting chance against an unevenly weighted calendar. We're even going to check out the filming locales of movies and shows that have used Salem as part of their palettes. We're going to see Salem from many different vantage points, even if you have to climb above all the pointy hats to do it. Along the way, we're going to talk to lots of people in Salem. Its citizens and leaders, its artists and entrepreneurs, its entertainers and historians. And of course, we're going to talk to its witches. We're going to get the perspective of those who revel in the strangeness of Salem and those who consider it a tacky tourist trap. Or worse, a distasteful celebration that plays with monkey bars on the victim's nooses. As for me, I do a little bit more than explore. I pick up my family of four, me, my wife, Lindsay, and my two daughters, Esme and Hazel, and move to downtown Salem for the entire month of October to spend a season with the witch, a time when the city streets clog with monsters, when festivals and carnivals and parties appear as if magically summoned, when everyone is counting down to the mad monster party that is Halloween night. Just stepping outside the door will be an official act of research for me. This book will be more stalogue than travelogue. Salem is odd. And I won't promise you that by the end of this book, Salem will make sense. I don't want it to. The ingredient list for a spell is much less interesting than the effects of the spell itself. But I can promise a lot of witchery in these pages. A lot of Halloween. A lot of surprises. And a lot of the strangeness that is Salem, Massachusetts. And that's the end of the introduction. The first chapter starts right with me and my family arriving in Salem on October 1st, getting ready to move in, and then later on that night going to the Haunted Happenings Parade. And then the rest of the book is our time there and our experiences there and everything we learned and everything we saw. If you like the book, you can pick it up anywhere. Most places have it, at least in their records or whatever. Somewhere they can order it. And it's a good time for it, especially since, you know, right now... Salem is a bit constrained uh, by the pandemic. But this is uh, this tells the story of a classic Salem. This is the Salem you'll go to when the world isn't ravaged by disease. Uh, and that's it. Usually this is the point of the podcast where I'm pushing stuff at you. And I just pushed an entire book at you. But Cursed Objects, my other book, my book that just came out, what is it, a week ago, two weeks ago? It's fresh out, and I'm hearing good things about it, so I might pick it up myself. Uh, no, it's, it's out, and I hope, I hope you like it. It's a beautiful book, well-designed, and one I am very proud of. It's, you know, all places you buy books as well. I'm in the middle of the Otis Halloween season. We're about a month in, where I'm writing and doing articles and podcast episodes and YouTube videos um, every day uh, for the site as we celebrate the month-long ball of fall and Halloween. And that's it. You can find me in all the places. I'm at Patreon. I'm at Twitter. I'm at Facebook. Uh, I'm around. It's really hard not to find me if you want to. Um, so yeah, if you like this, maybe I'll do it again. Maybe I'll do it with Cursed Objects or maybe I'll do it with um, the New York Compendium. Uh, I could. I, all my books have introductions, so <laughs> it's not too hard to do. I'm J.W. Oker, and this has been an episode of Odd Things I've Seen, a podcast, and the YouTube cast. Sponsored by Season of the Witch. <laughs> Alright, I'm very bad at signing off. Signing off. <laughs>